welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, it's another week for the Pastor and Pig podcast. I pray everyone is doing well and doing the best they can with our crazy times that we're in right now with this pandemic. Uh, hopefully, uh, you're, everyone is safe and you're able to get some additional farm work done. Some of you pig farmers, are day really hasn't changed much because you stay home all the time anyway and work your butt off. So. <laughs> um, well, try to keep a positive attitude going through this. So... Uh, I pray that everyone's doing the same. Well, uh, today we've got an interview with Ben McMurray, another Michigander. We had one uh, last episode. Ben is with Hill Valley Farm, and he has a really interesting take on his operation up there. He incorporates an Airbnb setup that helps supplement some income for him on the farm. And his family's about to grow as they are expecting a child this uh, summer. So uh, I'm going to dive right into our conversation and catch you guys on the backside. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy. And uh, this episode, we're actually uh, stepping into Michigan again, if I keep these in chronological order. Uh, so another foray into uh, Michigan here with Hill Valley Farm and Ben McMurray. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, I'm glad you could take some time to talk with me this evening. So I have to ask, uh, the pronunciation of the town that you live in, is that uh, true French? So is that Charlevoix, or do the, do the Michiganders change that somehow? Uh, Charlevoix is the official Char- pronunciation. Charlevoix. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so you well, how much French I know. Well, you know about as much as I do. All right. Yeah. Here in West Virginia, somebody would take something like that and make it uh, Charlie Vox or something. So. <laughs> oh, we, we get all the pronunciations. There's yeah. another town close to me called Petoskey, and that one's equally as challenging for people to pronounce. Yeah, I saw that on the list. I thought, I'm not I'm sure I'll try that one either. But, yeah, we uh, actually in my office where I'm sitting right now and recording is um, a town called Hurricane. It's spelled hurricane but uh anybody that comes in the area and says oh this is hurricane huh then we know you're not from around here because everybody pronounces it hurricane so that's one of those things okay well i digress too much so um well let's talk about uh hill valley farm in michigan what uh give me the forty thousand foot elevation view of what you've got going on there so we're located up in uh the northern lower peninsula most people might know michigan has two peninsulas we're about an hour south of the Mackinac Bridge, um, our farm's situated about three miles from Lake Michigan, so it really uh, creates some interesting weather challenges, but it also does moderate our temperature quite a bit. So yeah. it's, a, it's a nice location. Um, we have a lot of tourist economic um, benefits, especially in the summer. Um, and as far as uh, my farm specifically, I bought it in 2013. It's been a farm for a while, but it's pretty run down, similar to your property, I think. The whole yeah. hoarder, garbage everywhere, <laughs> all kinds of good, fun, frustrating, all those good good experiences. Actually, there was a two houses. One of them, the fire part department came and did a controlled burn. Um 
So basically, I mean, started with some decent bones, but it's been a big work in progress. And then um, my my wife and I got married in 2015, and we wanted to have a pig roast. And we said, hey, we already have chickens. Those are easy enough. Let's get some pigs and uh, raise a pig for our wedding. So we did that and um, just kind of did little expansions. Let's try something new every year, and here we are. All right. So let's back up a little bit here because I have to ask the question. We have similar stories as far as our property goes. So uh, 2013, you bought the property. 2015, you got married. Now, in 13, were you dating Brittany at that time? Um, yes, but she saw the property after pretty much a majority of the garbage was, was out of here. Yes. So we still, had, we still had the old house, and I hadn't done any remodels or anything, so... She she didn't get the worst of it, but I mean it wasn't wasn't too far off. Okay, yeah, that's good because that's uh, that's sometimes uh, in my situation. Uh, I showed my wife the property when it had about three inches of snow on it, so she she wasn't sure what those big mounds of uh, things were all around. I didn't tell her that they were raw garbage. <laughs> that was wise of you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, the uh, the I was looking at your website here. So thirteen thousand pounds of scrap metal were collected. That's impressive. Yep, and I'll make note that none of it was like car bodies or anything. It was all stuff that was in the you know one to fifty pound range. So <laughs> exactly. So you're picking up about five thousand individual items. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always remarked we had 225 tires was one of my benchmark uh, collection pieces. So. Well, you doubled my count. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, you got um, <clears> to <throat> love old school. I don't even know if I could call mine hoarders. I think mine were just simply, uh, let's try everything under the sun to make an income, and uh, if it doesn't work, we'll just leave it here over the hill. So that's kind of what we cleaned up. It's a good time. Yeah, okay, so... Um, with the farm, so you've got uh, several things going on there. It's not just exclusive to pigs, right? So tell us, tell us what all you have as far as interests and revenue generators. Um, so, like I briefly mentioned, we start off with layer chickens, like everyone does. We've done meat birds for our family. Um, pigs are my main interest. Um, we started doing artificial insemination. We now have a boar and four sows, and do fair to finish. Um, and then I have multiple neighbors. They're all brothers in their 70s. They grew up farming, so they are very willing to assist me in all kinds of knowledge sharing. Um, so I've gotten into growing feed, corn. Um, last year we grew oats and barley as well, cut hay. Um, so all of those are dabbling with the, the farm. And then... Um, a couple years ago, we, um, in conjunction with another friend, we built a tiny house and we uh, put it on Airbnb. So like I said, we have a pretty tourist-heavy um, region, especially in the summer. So we started the tiny house and rented that for the summer, and then we also built a yurt, and we do that as well. So that's, you know, associated with the farm and is uh, added income and time for, for that. All right, good. Yeah, I'm, I want to stick a pin in that because I want to come back to that here in a little bit um, because, yeah, while it's not necessarily pig-related, I, I do like the idea of diversified income streams on a farm. And uh, so, yeah, I do want to come back and talk about that here later. But uh, 
Let's uh, <clears throat> let's drill down on your pick. So you talked about um, you started off with AI. So why why start with AI and not with a boar? What what got you that direction? Um. Well, our first round of pigs, we bought five. We uh, had one for the wedding, butchered two, and then we kept two. And you know, I looked into AI, and I was like, "Well, it can't be this easy." I mean, I watched a YouTube video, and I was like, "It seems pretty basic. You just order, and it shows up. You need a little bit of equipment, but it seems like for not that big of an investment and um, relatively straightforward, you could, you know, take the next step and see what it's like to farrow some pigs." So. That's kind of how how we decided to go that route, and um, I don't I can't remember exactly how many litters we did with AI, but we've done quite a few. I've had a pretty good success rate, and we note that there's a spousal bonding that occurs when the two of you are out there trying to do all the the timing. And you know, in <laughs> Michigan, you can have inclement weather out there with both of you and your winter clothes, and one person sitting on top of the sow, and it's just slightly amusing for the the folks that aren't used to that kind of stuff yeah it's one of the, it makes for one of those interesting conversations around the water cooler at church on sunday what'd you guys do this weekend well what do you ask <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right wonderful so, so then um this last year we just said hey we've done this let's see uh what it's like to keep a boar and we we've had a couple litters from our boar and uh i'm not completely sold on either method but um we'll just continue seeing where we go and um, for now we'll stick with the boar but it definitely creates more challenges with having to manage different pens different areas and the timing of everything but you know part of my whole or you know my enjoyment of farming is there's always something new to try and definitely always something new to learn absolutely yeah very good well, let's. Uh, you'd mentioned that uh, your foray into pigs started with a, a need for a roaster for your wedding. Um, so let's back up further. Why in 2013 did you decide to get into farming? Was that something you were uh, formally trained for? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Do you come from a family of farmers? Um, I don't come from a family of farmers directly. I mean, go back a couple generations and everyone was a farmer, but... I didn't have a lot of exposure to it or anything. It was, I'd say it's more of a curiosity. And, um, like, I mean, we had a, a little garden growing up at my parents' house, so that's about the extent of my knowledge. And, if anything, it was more curiosity. And, as you know, one thing leads to another, and you keep finding something that seems bigger and more time-consuming and more fun. Exactly. All right. So is uh, is farming a full-time gig for you? Do you have an all-farm job? How are you managing that? It is not a full-time um, job. I just graduated from nursing school this spring, so that is my full-time job. And my wife um, is an x-ray tech, so we have two off-farm incomes. All right, yeah. That's good, though, being uh, in the healthcare, That gives you a lot of, uh, lot of options there, a lot of flexibility when it comes to scheduling, doesn't it? It does. I have a very flexible job. I actually work for a hospice organization up here, so I'm the night on-call guy. Huh. So I work on seven days, and then I'm off seven days. But essentially, besides the weekends, I have the daytime available to uh, do farm chores or remodel my house or whatever I need. So it's a very flexible schedule and works out very well for me. Good deal. Excellent. All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, 
talk about the pigs uh, in particular. We talked about the breeding there and, and, and the boars. Are you focusing on a specific breed right now? Is there something that really gets your attention that you like uh, growing out? Um, so our first batch, we had a mix. We had some Duroc Hamp mixes and then some with some Old Spot on them. And I'm pretty particular to the Old Spot. Um, honestly, if, if you want the real down, it's just uh, I like spotted piglets. I don't think there's anything cuter than a batch of spotted piglets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we did, um, you know, they're definitely a, a lard breed, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Um, so two years ago, last time we did some AI, I got some Tamworth to try to, you know, lengthen them out a little bit. And um, we've had the last few batches that are pretty Tamworth uh, spot cross, and I've been really happy with how those have turned out. Excellent. All right. So um, tell me a little bit about your setup as far as um, uh, you've got the pigs and the chickens. Are you, uh, you're, I assume, doing rotational pasture? Do you, how much um, land do you have sectioned off for your pigs? How does that work? So our total farm is 26 acres, and then we have uh, our pasture is 16 acres. I don't have all of that dedicated to the pigs. I probably only have about an acre up by our garden. They have a little shack and then I have electric fence and I move them around, move them out into the field. Um, we have an orchard and kind of till up additional areas and move them around. I do a lot of uh, rotation. We do have a, you know, it's a short season up here, so it makes for um, challenges keeping them on green stuff. So I do a lot of adding in hay and then both in our, I grind all our feed, so adding second cutting into that, plus uh, round bales, having those available. So a combination of all those things, but mostly portable electric fence to move them around and trying to reseed areas with uh, um, a lot of rye and then some turnips. I've done some oats, but um, so you know sometimes they beat it up a little more than you like. Right, right. So let's talk about the shorter season there. How how are you overwintering? How's that working out for you? Do you have a sacrificial area? Do you have a barn? Are you keeping them in? I I will. I have both. When we started off the first winter, they had, I mean, it's like a six by six shack and we just put pig panels up and they were down there. We held buckets of water and feed through the snow. It, it wasn't fun, but you know, in the scheme of things, pigs don't need a whole lot. Um, and then we ended up building a, a 32 by 48 barn, and that's kind of the animal barn now where I, I lead them up there, you know, the week before our first big snow is going to hit, and I have a little outside run for them, but mostly they just hang out in there and do their thing, and then I make a electric fence path back down to their summer shack, if you will. Yeah, all right. How many, so, how, how many pigs are you keeping on farm on, on, on average? Um, well, we have four sows, one boar currently, and right now, um, we have 17 from our spring litters. It wasn't as good of a spring as I would have liked, but we'll sell all those for feeder pigs. I think I could sell as many feeder pigs as I could produce in the spring, but we don't have so much of a market for those later in the year. So if we have, you know, late summer farrowings, I tend to keep those over the winter and then butcher them, you know, mid spring for anyone that wants a half or a whole, or we just started doing USDA 
last year. Um, so that's kind of the route we've been going. Okay. So, um, so when it comes time to your, your breeding schedule, you said you're, you're keeping the boar sequestered. So you're introducing him, uh, when you want to have a specific schedule. So did you breed all four sows for this spring or did you just have the two that, uh, two that farrowed? Well, we actually are one sow that's the oldest. She didn't, she didn't take, I think she's probably done if you will. So she didn't take the other three. They were all, you know, everyone was bred at the same time. I can't do the math off the top of my head, but I figured it out for, you know, a, a January-ish farrowing. Um, and then of the three sows, we have 17 currently. So it's kind of where we're at, but it, it's definitely managing the boar with the having to keep them separate in separate spaces and not necessarily having all that infrastructure ready right now. It's created some challenges this year and it's on my to-do list for this coming summer. Yeah. I got to say, I'm probably in the same boat uh, as my first year trying boars as well. So let's talk about that. And this may be just a conversation between you and I, <laughs> hopefully people listening will find it interesting. So what are you, how are you keeping your boar isolated now and what are the issues you're running into? Um, well, well, I just have, um, like my main, the summer shack, if you will, has pig panels around it and it's kind of separated out and then I'll run the electric fence out and about. And then I made a separate pen that is adjacent to it with more pig panels. So I can keep, you know, separate two, I basically have two separate areas and more of the issue that comes up is if I have, you know, growers that are down there too. I don't want to have my sows have access to full feed all the time like I do for the growers. And then actually uh, our boar bred some of the growers and I didn't think that they were big enough to be bred. Um, You know, they seem like they're like under 200 pounds and I always thought they had to be, you know, six months or older and a little bit bigger before they reach maturity. But we, we butchered one, and I was like, oh, there's some uh, little fetal pigs in there. So that was okay. a that was a learning experience. Yeah, I yeah. mean, didn't really affect anything. It was just a eye-opening bit. So just having more separate areas available to keep the different stages of growth separate would be helpful. But then also then you have to factor in the needing to have separate paddocks and so just kind of a logistical thing. I haven't worked out all the details yet. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can understand that. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying distance as my main buffer now, uh, more so than, uh, super strong. I'm, I'm going to see if, uh, I can keep my boars on a separate pasture if that'll keep them away if they're, you know, hundred yards or more away, but we'll see. We're going to, we're going to see how that unfolds this year. <laughs> Should be interesting. Good. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, um, let's talk about feed a little bit. I know you'd mentioned that you guys are grinding your own. So uh, kind of talk about the evolution of your feed process. So we started off just going to the the local feed mill in town, and they just mix up your conventional corn, soy, mineral mix. And we bought that by the ton and utilized that. And then... um, you know, supplement with garden vegetables, you know, food scraps, all that, all that good stuff. And then once I kind of got a little more involved with my neighbors, he, uh, the ones that I mentioned, it's a group of brothers, the one, his name's Dave. He's the most active farmer right now. And, uh, 
he was growing corn and I kind of got involved with that and you know drove the tractor just kind of did it on shares a bit and when all that was happening he had a feed grinder and ground up some feed but his feed grinder was already been patched together for 30 years so it it took a dump and then springtime I got my own feed grinder and just kind of started doing it that way and uh, using his corn and then buying you know all the other stuff from the the feed mill and then last let's see last uh, summer I um, leased some land from another brother that's by me he had about 14 acres and grew the oats and barley and corn and now we're using all of those we just buy soy locally and then mineral so it's uh that plus the second cutting hay and that's our feed Uh, it's not a super scientific ratio i don't really weigh a whole lot out i just do five gallon buckets and you know take the the windows up the sides and just kind of ballpark it yeah all right so when it comes to uh to growing, planting, and harvesting, are, I assume the brothers have the equipment you need to do that because that's that's takes a lot of equipment to to manage fourteen acres of uh, of monocrop. Yeah, um, we bought a tractor. Um, I mean, previous to this, I was utilizing all his equipment, but we have a tractor, and then I have the feed grinder. But as far as you know, the the corn planter, the seed drill, and all of those goodies, he has all of those. Actually, he has uh, the uh, the original Minneapolis Moline, I don't remember the model or the year, but the original like combine harvester. And this was the last year for it because he's been put keeping it going and keeping it going. But this year it, it also kind of fell apart. So we got all of our stuff harvested this year. And he said, that's the last year we're using it. So I have an, another neighbor farmer that we're going to utilize his combine next year. He's already given me the okay. But it is very very helpful to have yeah <laughs> those those machines and equipment available because definitely couldn't do it without their help yeah no that's great again that's uh, taking advantage of what's in the community and what's uh you know what's around you that would be uh that would be tough to to try to start with your all of your own equipment so definitely take advantage of those around you that have it yes well, let's. Uh, you in your notes here that you sent me, you, you talked about uh, you, you grew out some non-GMO corn as well. Is that something you just wanted to try? Is that were you getting some demand from your customer base? Um, it, my customer base, they don't really. Uh, I mean, it's more we won't push the the local. I've produced everything. That's more the avenue than necessarily the GMO versus non-GMO. Yeah. But for me, it's mostly a learning thing. You know, if I try something new and see what all is involved with that um so um i guess it seems to me again this is coming from two years experience growing corn but you know everyone says you know what's the what's the point of growing non-gmo well it's more sustainable you know you're not sporting monsanto it's less harmful to the earth you know all of those normal things and i guess i didn't really realize what was all involved exactly until I grew it. And, you know, you still are spraying. A lot of people are still burning down the field beforehand. You're putting down pre-emergence. So I think the distinction isn't as black and white as a lot of people want to 
make it, yeah. whether that's good or bad. You know, I, I think it's just a fact to, to point out. And if we're really trying to support, you know, small-time non-Monsanto seed, then maybe, you know, non-GMO that realistically is probably coming from a large seed conglomerate anyway might not really be as big of a deal as people want it to be. Yeah. If, yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. No, it does. It, it very much so. Yeah, I think, um, I agree. I think there's a certain, and you know, ignorance may be too strong a word to use, but there's a certain misunderstanding that non-GMO equals chemical-free. And and like you said, there's still a lot of inputs. There's still a lot of traditional, conventional-style farming that's being used uh, to raise those non-GMO products. Yeah, I mean, I I just wanted to, you know, if I want to grow like an open pollinated variety, which is something I'd like to try in the future, then being uh, able to see what growing non-GMO corn is kind of a, a step to figure out what's, what I'm going to need to do to manage that next seed that I'm going to try. Yeah. So that was kind of a thought that I had. All right. What are you doing for a storage of all your feed that you're going to do? Do you have a large silo or are you just using bins? Um. So the side of our barn, we have a, well, well there's two lean-tos off each side. And then off the one lean-to, kind of under the edge of it, I built, like, the old-style corn crib with the, the corn slat or the, the wood slats. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I'm storing all the corn. And then all the grain is just in totes underneath. And then I keep the grinder under there with the tractor, and it stays out of the weather. And it's uh, it works well enough for what I have right now. Yeah, so you're just grinding as needed. You're not grinding all in advance. Correct. I just grow, you know, grind uh, about two totes at a time. And I mean, right now with what what current pig situation I have, I have to grind about every two weeks. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your market. You said uh, already that you you do sell a lot of wiener pigs. Do you do you sell a lot of uh, uh, cuts, holes, and halves? How does that balance with your wieners as far as uh, percentage of sales go? Um, I guess. Well, when we started out, we didn't sell feeders. Everything that we had, we would, you know, sell halves and holes to people. And it was just the, the kind of standard word of mouth, family and friends. This person talks to this person. Um, you know, we have a fair amount of exposure through work. So, you know, bolts and boards, that kind of thing. And then, you know, as we became uh, a little bit bigger with the springtime, I was like, you know, the feeder prices in the spring what you can sell a feeder pig for compared to the amount of money you get after it's a raised butchered animal for the time and input. It's kind of like, well, uh, you know, we probably make decent money doing feeder pigs compared to growing them all up. So we started, started the feeder pigs and, um, you know, frankly, you just, if you wanted to put them on Craigslist, they disappear. But I, I know enough people that were interested that we could get rid of the ones that, we grew so i think last year we sold 25 26 hmm. and then this year we have 17 yeah all right all right so um when it comes to um to some of your cuts what where are you finding your your market like you said some some friends and word of mouth that type of thing how is that How's that panned out each year do you do you see growth there do you see uh, you, know, you have to put pour more effort into it each year I mean, I'd say we haven't had as many repeat customers as I'd like. Like, I, 
I mean, you want someone to have, you know, I hit one and a half every year, a hole every year. And I haven't quite put my finger on what that is, but I think a lot of it is people hadn't purchased a, most of our, a lot of our customers has not purchased meat in that fashion before. So maybe they're a bit overwhelmed by the, the quantity or they just decided they didn't actually eat that much meat. And that was one of the premises for trying to start the USDA and selling by the cut. So we've had some of those customers that come out on a pretty regular basis and, you know, pick out the cuts they want. And so doing a, you know, a little bit of everything, I think, helps make it so you have something available for any customer. But um, definitely need to uh, try to expand our market base. It's on our to-do list. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned something there about having your, your customers come out. Do you... Have you seen that that's um, that's popular with your customers? They want to come out, uh, see the farm, kind of hang out. I know you've got a tourism element there with the Airbnb. So is, is that what you're geared to set up to have uh, customers come out? That was um, the premise. One of the other premises for the USDA was so we had cuts available for those people that were staying at the Airbnbs. Um, so we have just a stand up, uh, freezer in our garage. You know, it's, it's pretty rudimentary. It's not built up or kind of fancy. I'd like to make it a little better, but, um, otherwise most of the people that are coming up for the cuts are, you know, family, friends or whatever, and they're not going to mind walking in our garage. But, you know, if, if people, wanted to, it's kind of an open door. You walk in our garage and there's the freezer and there's a, change uh cash box and you do your transaction and if i'm around great if i'm not that works too yeah all right very good um well let's talk uh i want to talk about your airbnb element a little bit and and you had mentioned that the area where you are in michigan uh kind of a tourist area so there's a lot of uh traffic coming through are you finding that people are booking your airbnb because of the location or are they drawn in because of the farm element or a little bit of both I think it's all of the above. Um, so it's it's rustic. We have you know a moldering toilet. There's no running water per se. We have a foot pump that utilizes uh, rain catchment. So it's pretty pretty primitive, more like camping, I'll say, than than some of the other Airbnbs. And I think that appeals to a lot of people, especially like you know we're drawing from Detroit, Lansing, Grand Rapids, people that want to kind of unplug, get out of the city. And I think that is a big draw. The farm um, setting is an added draw. I'll say some people want to have a tour and, you know, show them everything. And other people just want to be up here on vacation. And that's fine, too. Um, and then thirdly, um, you know, the tourist area, people come up here and they're looking for a hotel room. But uh, I mean, a lot of young people especially want a unique experience. So they're looking through Airbnb and say, hey, this looks really cool. So we have a, a really good success rate. Our, our tour season is short, so it's pretty much July and August are the meat of it um, with a little bit of the fringe seasons. But um, it keeps us busy, and it definitely helps with the income. I mean, it's hard to run the numbers on your, your farming income, per se, but um, f the time and effort for profit is a, a much better for rentals than it is for raising animals. Right, sure. So when you look at that and balancing, uh, again, two, um, we know that you're both all farm income 
with your jobs. How does that balance out when you look at your farm chores versus your Airbnb management for those two peak months? I mean, is that is that really become taxing at that point, or are they kind of autopilot? Um, well, we've we tweak some things every year to make you know one thing or another easier. The first year we had uh, you could do one night during the week. Um, last year we had two night minimum, so that really cuts down with the turnaround time to clean it up and do all the linens and everything. Um, but since part of it is, since it is kind of a primitive thing, there isn't really a, a lot of cleanup necessary. It takes us about an hour. Um, so, you know, an hour for a two-night rental, and our rentals, uh, it's $119 a night. So profit for time is pretty good. Yeah. Are you, in, in that situation, are you seeing any of your guests that are that are looking for interaction with the farmer so like you said you know the tours the seeing the animals all that so do you have to have those interactions or are you pretty much a hey you're here here's your accommodations if you need us call us but otherwise you won't see us we kind of say you know hey we're around if you want a tour we have you know other dedications like jobs so we can't always make accommodations but if you're going to be here for a couple days let us know we'll try to make something happen and I'll say maybe a quarter of people want to, you know, have some kind of interaction and the rest of the people just kind of do their own thing. I mean, sometimes people in the, the, the rentals are in the back of the property. So the only time I'll see people, they'll drive in and they'll drive out. And that's the only time I'll see a lot of them, but not always. Are you offering any value added services through the Airbnb with farm products? So, you know, like a anything a la carte when it comes to uh, farm products for food or anything like that? We, we send a price sheet, you know, generally we have everything in stock, but you know, brats, bacon, pork chops, you know, the, the standard kind of pork products and say, Hey, if you want any of these things, let us know. We're happy to thaw something up for you or we can give it to you frozen when you get here. Um, but that's a, an added bonus. We do provide eggs, for them for breakfast so those yeah. are the two farm products um the eggs are included with the rental the pork is an add-on yeah excellent very good so yeah i think that's and the reason why i wanted to talk about that a little bit i think that's um as, as farmers are looking for these value-added opportunities uh, especially when it comes to larger tracts of land you know, taking some of that smaller portion of land and, and, and offering these these type of services um you know farm stay farm vacations the yeah, others like I said, the Airbnb thing is really um, opens the door for a lot of people to have non-traditional experiences. Instead of just going to a hotel somewhere, they can they can really kind of stick their toe in the water of uh, of different lifestyles. Yeah, I mean, for the the time and the the costs of you know building the structure and everything um, compared to the the annual income that it generates, I think it's a a big positive, and I would definitely encourage other farmers that have that available to them or if you're in an area that you feel could benefit it's uh it definitely helps the pocketbook and the bottom dollar when you know you're pinching pennies because in general you're not making a whole lot of money farming unless you got a specific plan and a specific uh thing you're following yeah all right all right so ben looking uh, looking ahead what uh, if you have a five-year plan what do you think um in the next five years holds for Hill Valley Farm? Mm, 
I, you know, I, I've never been great with five-year plans, if you want the truth, Troy. Um, <laughs> my my wife and I are due with our first child in July, and that's right. a whole other, uh, uh, I'll say unknown-ish. So That's a game changer, um, yep. Yeah, exactly. I think the this year, with the amount of time that I've spent with growing everything, and we're, we're about at a... A level that I'm happy with I feel like I can keep this a you know side business and it's still enjoyable I love doing it I don't want to be overwhelmed because I've definitely been known to get too many irons in the fire and uh, I think keeping it kind of manageable right where we are is pretty good I'd like to maybe expand to have some more sows for feeder pigs in the spring and maybe try to see throw throw my dice in and raising a couple beef but that's about as far as i'd like to go for yeah. at this point i see now i noticed on your website looks like you've got a decent size uh, vegetable operation there are those hops you're growing as well yeah um when you said my interests earlier they're they're pretty numerous and i started uh home brewing and i think hops are a cool plant besides the fact that I like beer too. Right. So just got a trellis out by my barn and there's six of them there. And, you know, it's just amazing that a plant can grow that big and tall every year and then it's done and does the same thing next year. Yeah. So hops, we have a standard vegetable garden. I have a fruit orchard and strawberries, blueberries. So like I said, lots of irons in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the diversity keeps you from getting bored, but, uh, be a little bit of a yeah. tough management at times, but uh, yeah, very exciting to have all that different product coming off the farm. Yep. All right. Well, Ben, uh, one thing I always ask is, as a closer, just to get your uh, overall assessment, what is your best experience or favorite parts about raising pigs on pasture? Well, I think my favorite thing, like I said, is there's nothing cuter than little spotted newborn piglets. <laughs> And uh, that that's my number one thing. But I think the the close second is all of those spousal bonding tasks, like I said, whether it's being out there in December trying to artificially inseminate a pig in the middle of winter or, hey, hey, Brittany, guess what? It's it's pig castration night. So, <laughs> you know, doing all of those less than pleasant tasks is, you know, part of a team and making – Making both of us contribute, I think that's uh, it keeps us uh, keeps us grounded. I think and definitely adds to our uh, our marriage. Excellent, yeah. Well, you got got you a keeper there. If she's out there helping you inseminate and uh, and doing castration, that's 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 a good woman right there. I, I, I she is. Um, quick side note: so I <laughs> I went to Africa about a month ago to visit my friend that was in the Peace Corps, and I was gone for two weeks. I got her permission beforehand, but I left my pregnant wife in Michigan while I went to Africa, and two pigs farrowed while I was gone, which we <laughs> knew was going to happen anyway. So if I can get if I can get away with all that, she's definitely a keeper. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna to have to make up for that somehow this year. <laughs> yeah, this I know. Yeah, I see a lot of diaper changes in your future. <laughs> yeah, like all of them. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That sounds like that. That's great. I mean, tag teamwork is is uh, well, they say teamwork makes the dream work when it comes to farming. <laughs> that's good to have. True story. 
All right. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Uh, congratulations on your uh, pending uh, uh, child. That's It's always good to have farm hands, And so uh, hopefully that goes well. And I was going to say your wife's farrowing, but that's probably not appropriate to say. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, she'd be amused. She'd be okay with it. Right. Oh, good. Well, I, I pray everything goes well there and, and you guys have a great season. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. All right, man. Take care. I really appreciate Ben taking the time to come on the podcast and share a story with us. I really like to hear uh, all the different ways people are managing their pastured pig operation incorporated into other things they've got going on their farm. Well, if you'd like to uh, suggest topics or if you'd like to request to be interviewed on the podcast, by all means, go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pastured Pig Podcast link, and give us your information there and we'll get you scheduled. Uh, we're still trying to figure out exactly how to do this from the home studio, <laughs> a.k.a. the uh, hallway. <laughs> uh, since I don't have the luxury of going to my office, uh, I, I can, I guess, but it's it's pointless for me to go to the office here uh, recently. So uh, we're still trying to figure out exactly how to do phone interviews and do those type of things since we live in a technologically devoid area. But uh, we'll try to keep uh, cranking them out. Well, I pray everyone has a great week out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.